And it's time for another edition of Banker with a Beer. We're going to have an unusual uh, discussion today. I mean, people have been asking me a little bit about Scott and what he's been doing. And so I'm going to take over kind of the role here of uh, being the lead in. And we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, podcasting and uh, being an entrepreneur in the Chippewa Valley with someone who knows it uh, up close and personal. So, uh, Scott, uh, welcome to the show. Actually, as <laughs> the guest this time. Oh, I, I like this. Uh, I, I now have to do more work, uh, do much more of the talking uh, with this. But uh, since I'm a person who's got the humbleness of an 1890 steel factory baron, uh, I have no problem talking about myself. Well, this should be fun. Uh, and also, since Scott's going to be our guest today, I let him choose the beer today. And uh, he asked me, he's challenged me, and I thought this was exciting. He, he he likes, he said, something like a blue moon. He was thinking, you know, it's still a little chilly yet, but he wants to go something a little bit more reminds him of spring. And uh, blue moon, for those of you who know your beverages, is basically a Belgian wheat beer. And so why not just get a Belgian wheat beer? Uh, so this is, I think it's pronounced La Chaffe, which is a Belgian wheat. And uh, I'll be pouring the beer. And why I do that, I'm going to be asking Scott a little bit about his background. And tell us a little bit about uh, where Scott Montesano comes from and what brought you to Eau Claire. Well, well I, could, I could take up a good uh, six hours telling the whole story because I've been kicked around like an old coffee can. But... Uh, uh, born in Utica, New York, uh, born and raised uh, in upstate New York, went to college in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, about three hours away from home. So just far enough away to be away from home, but close enough to be able to bring the laundry back every couple of weekends. Uh, you made your mom did the laundry? <laughs> Scott! Now, before people say, hey, you know, uh, you, know, you got to live on your own. Uh, I spent a couple of summers in New England uh, working with uh, minor league baseball teams over there as the, their play-by-play broadcaster. And then after college, uh, after graduating from Marist College, a Division One school, I, I remind everybody, uh, I got a job in Fargo, North Dakota with a North American Hockey League team there as their play-by-play broadcaster and vice president of marketing and pretty much everything shy of cleaning the toilets. Uh, I spent three winters up there, gallivanted and did some minor league baseball back in New England uh, as well. And then one of those win- one of those off-seasons in Fargo, I ended up here in Eau Claire uh, for the 2006 season for the Eau Claire Express, which was their second season. And it's kind of a funny story how I ended up here, and we can save that for another time. Uh, involved an intern and, and just pure luck. Ended up here. Eventually, I left Fargo, spent some time here all the time, and then I was spending my time here and, and spending winters down in Des Moines, Iowa, working with a minor league hockey team there as their broadcaster. And again, as I said, I, I am sort of a spaghetti can of uh, various things, a casserole, and there's a lot of specifics to all of it, but I've been back in Eau Claire full-time since 2016, and this seems to be the spot where uh, my wife and I are raising our kids, and away we go. Here we go. Well, let's uh, start this beverage off. Tell me what you think. Oh, outstanding. That is uh, that is outstanding. And, yes, it is. It, it's still chilly, and this is a – a, a winter that does not want to let go like a dog biting the rear end of a mailman. But 
you know, when you when you take a drink of something like that, you can picture yourself on a nice deck. This is it, it's the Belgians just do such a fabulous job just putting just so much more flavor in the beer. So uh, it's uh, it looks more like a, a pale ale, but it's a, it's a wheat beer, a wheat beer, and it's really tasty, um, very flavorful. Pulled up with a big head. So and I'll throw this out. You know, again, I'm full of full of stories. So and I think I've told you this, you know, a few times. I didn't drink beer until I moved to Eau Claire in 2006. And I graduated college in, in 04. But I didn't drink much in college. I wasn't a big drinker. Would go to the bars with my friends, but I didn't drink much. Most of my alcohol consumption was end-of-the-year jungle juice parties where they would just clear everything into, the, into, a, into some fruit punch and the fruit punch masked any alcohol. And then, uh, then you spend the next two days with a hangover that, that'll hurt but your head Yeah, but you're, you're, you're 21. You can bounce back nicely. And then when I moved to uh, North Dakota, that's a big, hard liquor state. And I drank a lot of hard liquor up there that was mixed with things, so screwdrivers and the like of that. But then when I moved here and was working with the Express and doing the games, I had access to all the free lineys I wanted after the games because at the time we were serving lineys at Carson Park. And I'm like, you know, it's free. And uh, let's just put it this way. I I quickly developed a taste for beer. So uh, with the lineys and then we'd go to Water Street and Bud Lights and Coors Lights and and all that. But as I've gotten older, my – my palate has definitely sophisticated. Well, and, and I, I hope the uh, our meetings here have kind of pushed you along that route. So, it's 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 quality over quantity. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> well, great background. What what I find most interesting though is this business you've developed. As well, first you've done podcasting, but you, you have I think we a number of of. I guess a moment years ago now, we uh, interviewed Michael Perry, and he talk, talked about multiple revenue streams. And Scott, I think being an entrepreneur in the 21st century, you've taken that concept to heart. And maybe tell us, you know, tell our listeners about all the things you're involved with. I think people know about you as as the voice. You know, you do do sports casting, you do podcasting, but what all do you do? Well, and I think it goes back to. Really, when I first got into, when I left college and uh, had graduated and whatnot, I I almost always had multiple revenue streams. Uh, As I said, I was working with a a hockey team up in Fargo, North Dakota, but I would leave in the summer to work with baseball teams. So I always had something else. If if, if one thing fell through, I always had something else. Uh, Call it a a nervous anxiety, if you will. Uh, Because in this line of work, too, Jobs do disappear. I, I've, I've been laid off many a time in my career from teams that uh, had to make budget cuts. Uh, so I've always had multiple revenue streams. How this all came about was I had moved back to Eau Claire, was doing uh, front office work with the Eau Claire Express for a, a few years. And I thought, you know, I want to I want to start. I want to get back into broadcasting. In fact, I had been brought back to work with the Express. The idea was I would be broadcasting again, and that didn't end up happening. So I ended up starting up a company that did local high school play-by-play on the Internet in 2017. And from there, that eventually morphed into this idea of, why don't I do podcasts and jump into that? Uh, so I left the Ochre Express 
and started up this company, Eau Claire Hometown Media, the idea being media is no longer really local. It's not anything nefarious. It's just the way the business is. Now, now let me interrupt. So was this just your idea to, to do local, or had you seen this somewhere else? Or what was, your, what was the epiphany that came through that says, this is a niche that, that, I, that someone should, should take, take hold of? Yeah, I, I, there's a couple, of th- couple of things. I had seen something similar when I was living in Des Moines, Iowa, about 10 years ago. But this is the, the early caveman days of podcasting. So I'd seen something similar down there in a larger market. But ultimately, I sat and I went, Podcasts are very popular, and people want to hear local stories. I, working with the Express, I, I was a big sales guy for the team, so I'm always going and meeting people, and I'd routinely hear people hint that, boy, they, they miss having local talk shows on the radio. And for as much as what the newspaper does, the newspaper is, is not an industry now that a lot of people read. I'm, I get a home subscription, but not many 41-year-olds do. And TV can only do so much in a 10-second soundbite. So I went, why don't we combine these two together? Everybody likes to listen to podcasts. People want local information. Businesses want to be able to talk to the local consumer and not just here's my 10, here's my 15, 30-second elevator pitch, but here's our story or here's what, we, here's what we believe in, I think this thing could really take off. Uh, I'll use one of the examples. We've got a podcast about dogs. It's very popular. Uh, Heather over at Embark does it. There's millions of podcasts about dogs, but somebody living in Altoona, Wisconsin six to one, half a dozen to the other, they'd rather hear the local person talk about dogs as opposed to the person in Aiken, South Carolina. And that's the whole mantra we've, we've been able to, to develop. Locals talking about local things are putting a local perspective on things and locals wanting to hear it. And we're becoming sort of the, the town square over the course of the last four years. Well, from your perspective and, and, and this podcast, you know, we'll put this off the side. What makes for a good podcast? For for us, and there's different genres of podcasts. Like there's a, there's different genres of TV shows and movies. Many people are very familiar with uh, the genre that got podcasts going, and that was the the serial ones, the the true crime ones. Uh, but what these types of podcasts are is they're basically what AM talk radio was in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s. And everybody would laugh about AM talk radio, but it always did very well in the ratings. What makes for a good podcast for us is passion from the people that are talking about XYZ subject. So whether it's, we've got shows where the hosts just talk about what their focus is, We've got other shows like this one where there's guests on. And whether it's the hosts that are showing passion or it's the guests that are showing passion, that's what draws people in. Do podcasts tend to have a lifespan or do they tend to hold? I guess, you know, I'm thinking of like, if you think of like a, like a show, uh, you know, whether it be usually the old shows that were on network television and now on Netflix or something usually have a, a season or two or three 
maybe four, and then they kind of peter out. You run out of plot lines, you move forward. There, there, because there is no script to these things and life is changing, and I think of this this show, for instance, think about the, the, the type of questions we were asking two, three years ago, a lot of COVID-based stuff. Well, times are changing. You don't have to. So things change. So shows like this don't ever have a, a lifespan. Nearly all of our podcasts, the same thing. There is no lifespan. They can go on for as long as the people are excited because there's always guests and you can bring guests back on because there's something new. The individual episodes, that tends to be interesting. Some, some are valid for months. Some are valid for about a week. The vast majority of listeners for the shows we have come within the first week because it's just the way our branding is our marketing is the way get people to show up right away and listen but the overall shows themselves can go on for as long as the people are excited and that tends to be the reason why if we have people stop after a year or two they just don't have the time they don't have the passion to do it anymore so podcasting is has been a big area where do you see podcasting going there's always been a push of video, but I like to equate that to uh, video with podcasts is, is like what uh, laser discs were in the late 80s. Everybody thought, well, that's just natural, and it turned out laser discs, discs did nothing. Nobody ever got those big, you know, I, I still remember those yeah. things. They were about the size of an actual record. Video, I don't see that being the next thing. Uh, people, the reason people like podcasts is that they, I'm, I'm holding a phone up as I'm answering this. They, they do it while they're working out. They do it while they're driving. They're listening while they're going for a walk. They're listening while they're doing something around the house. They're listening while they're at the office. It is very much like baseball on the radio. It is a companion to something else you're doing. Whereas video is an active activity. You're watching it. So I don't see video really becoming the big thing for podcasts. And while people will see video with podcasts, that tends to be the bigger ones that have got multi-million dollar budgets that can basically waste money, <laughs> waste money on it. Uh, so I, the thing... I. I really don't know. Uh, I, I I can really see this thing just continuing to grow with podcasts until there's a, another form of technology that begins to not necessarily make this obsolete, but is, is what podcasts morph into. Because it's not going to be video. Well, just give me the two-minute synopsis of how a podcast works. I mean, clearly... Uh, we're here in a conference room at Northwestern Bank. You have some small recording equipment. You have a laptop computer. Uh, we turn it on. We, we, we talk for roughly 30 minutes. Uh, you pack it up and you go away mm -hmm. and then magic happens. What happens between the time you walk out of this room and the time that someone, it's, you can see it either on echometownradio.com or on Apple or Spotify? I'm counting the checks. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's a very simple, easy thing. It's uh, I'll, I'll jump ahead. Nothing. Uh, one of the one of the things that it it irritates me. But if you're a business person, 
and you're a salesperson. And I never thought I'd be a salesperson when I got out of college, but three years in, I realized the person that makes money is the last one fired. So I, you know, I learned, uh, I've learned sales and being a competitive athlete growing up, I love sales. Nothing frustrates me more than when somebody says, we don't have the time to do a podcast. Love the idea, don't have the time. And I go, there's no work you have to do except for the fun part, all right? I'm, I'm the one cooking. You just get to eat, all right? I bring out the spaghetti and meatballs uh, for you. But, yeah, what, what goes into a podcast, we come with the equipment, which is you know, a mixer and it's a computer, and we've got another set of equipment that doesn't even have the computer now. It's, it's all on an SD card. It's even easier. We do the show. Show takes 30 minutes. There's usually some BSing that goes on or whatever. We can be out within three minutes of a podcast ending. There's other shows where I hang around for 30 minutes after. But then we leave. The stuff gets put into the computer. Uh, we'll render stuff down. We'll level out the, the audio because some people talk lighter than others and whatnot. Take out background noise if we want to take out background noise. Some podcasts we do, we want that background noise, like uh, the one we do at a local restaurant, the Cranky Buzzard. We want that energy that is there. And then we end up putting it into our system. We also share it with the client. The client gets to do whatever they want with the podcast because it, the intellectual property uh, belongs to them. We, send, we, we schedule to send it out. We schedule out some of the marketing with it, and away it goes. And every morning, I spend about two hours every morning making sure stuff has dropped on time, making sure that links are working, because uh, sometimes a couple people in my staff may mess something up, or, or I may mess it up when I put it in. Make sure the stuff is working, make sure we've got various branding that's working, and away we go. And we're, and we're checking the numbers, we're checking the, the downloads and where stuff is coming from. On a on a day to day basis, almost to a point where where I obsess over the numbers. I, I I did not grow up as somebody who liked numbers, even though I had a 4.0 in college and somehow got good grades in math. I hated numbers, but whether I'm broadcasting sports or I'm doing this, I love analytics. <laughs> well, did you ever have a show that just blew up? That you you came in one day and you said, "Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! This thing is like." I don't know, we don't go viral with the, with these shows, but, you know, things that just really kind of get you going. It, it, it happens on a week-to-week basis where I'll look and I'll say, oh, look at this. You know, it's really nice. Now, we don't make any extra money. If a show gets one listen or a show gets a 1,000 listens, we get the same amount of money. So we don't make money off of off of listens. Uh, but every every week I look and go, look at this one that's taking off. We, we've recently had a show that dropped that featured Chris Cruzy, uh, and Chris Cruzy has shared it, uh, and and that one's taken off. Uh, but I always hesitate to say what, uh, and I always tell this to every client. It it doesn't matter, you know. It doesn't matter what viral is. Viral is what everybody thinks of it as. You know, for some clients, getting 300 listens, I was just telling a client a couple of days ago, you know, 300 people listen to your podcast. And they're like, oh, my God, that's awesome. Because this is different than buying an ad on radio or we buy billboards. It's different than the billboards that I put up there. 
Nobody's driving on Claremont Ave to see the billboard I put up, except when I'm driving or I'm driving with somebody and I'm making them go by it so I can point it out <laughs> to them. When we do a podcast, it's 200, 300, 400, 500, 600 people that have come for your program. And to put that in perspective, you're on stage with 200, 300, 400, 500 people. There's not a business in this area. There's not a business in this country or this world. And I know this having, again, sold to a lot of these businesses that does not want to ever have the opportunity to have that many people standing out in front of their business and they could explain either what it is their business does or brand themselves as the expert in something or to, uh, in the case of the, the show you do, show the commitment to the community that Northwestern Bank has, bringing on various clients, bringing on various business leaders and organizational leaders, stuff that you can't, stuff you can't really do in any other type of marketing, which in and of itself is very important. This is a whole different thing. The one thing that I find, so I do head up sales and marketing here at Northwestern Bank, and one thing that podcasting allows me to do is to actually get a number of people who are actually listening in. You know, when, if we do do a, an, an ad or a radio spot or television or whatever, you have really no idea. You know it's out there, and you know it was broadcast, and you have every, you know, you know, I don't listen to everything that we do, but, you know, I, at least I sample it to make sure it's out there as we want it to. And but yet you unless someone gives you feedback to say, I saw the billboard, I saw your television show, I, I saw the, the your ad in the newspaper. You get no feedback here. We can actually have hard numbers. We can say, OK, we have so many downloads. And like you said, there is this trajectory where most of the listenership happens in the first week. Um, you know, so hence the need for, for fresh content. But also, I mean, I've even gone back to some of my shows that have been a year or two years out and said, wow, that's, that, that, was, that was pretty good. Or, well, um, I've learned a little bit <laughs> since then. <laughs> and, and that's something that, uh, you know, with, with every client that I have. Now, again, I, I was born for this. You know, I, I realized when I was 12 years old, I was too fat and too slow. I was, if I wanted to work in sports, which is what got me into broadcasting, I was going to have to talk for a living. And I learned, uh, and I learned, uh, you know, about broadcasting around 16, 17, my friends started saying, hey, you got a broadcaster's voice. I, I don't know what it is. My, my wife always jokes that she hears two voices. There's, there's one when, I, when I'm not thinking about it, and then there's one when I am thinking about it. <laughs> so she, she's heard apparently the true Scott Montesano voice. But I, I, I trained for this, and I... I there's a guy locally, uh, Mike Sullivan, longtime voice of the Blue Golds, uh, that uh, kind of served as a mentor of mine when I had first moved to town. So I've learned this. Our clients aren't professional broadcasters. Well, well, one of them that does a show actually actually uh, went to school to be a TV personality. But regardless, they're not professional broadcasters. But the passion comes through. And I'm always quick to remind them, don't worry about the M's and the U's and all that, because as a trained broadcaster myself, I have those vocalized pauses. But go back and listen. That's the best way you can get better. Go back and listen. And I'd be, I am surprised the number of our clients who openly admit to me, yeah, I don't like to go back and listen to my old shows. I don't want to listen to how bad I was. <laughs> and I go, 
the first show you do, no matter what else happens, is the worst one you'll ever do. Even if it's good, it's good, but it's the worst one you'll ever do, and every one after that ends up being better. You do get a comfort level for it, and, and <laughs> you, you learn. It. For me, the hard part was learning to uh, learning to pause <laughs> and letting you know letting uh, let things flow a little bit more, as opposed to feeling you need to fill in the the gap immediately. Like like most things in this life, most things in our society, this is something that is. Uh, I got a fancy degree for this. Yeah, you don't need a degree. <laughs> I, I learned a lot of college, and I definitely support going to college. I learned a lot about life. I learned a lot about who I am uh, at college. But hey, like most things in life, the best way to learn how to do it is just do it. So we were talking before. We opened about multiple revenue streams, and obviously the <laughs> podcasting is a big chunk of that. But Let's tell the listeners about some of the other revenue streams that you currently have working. So, and I, and I credit to my wife uh, for this. When, when I left the Express uh, as, the, as the marketing guy in uh, 2018, I had a title of assistant general manager. Titles are what you put on a, on a, on a business card. But I'd been out of, broad, I'd been out of, out of full-time sports broadcasting for a couple of years. The Eau Claire uh, Blue Golds reached out to me, and that's a whole, that's a whole other podcast. There, there's other podcasts out there where I explain uh, the fun and the, the luck that came into me being the voice of the Blue Golds. Although, Scott, <laughs> there are still people to this day swear that you are still the voice of the Express, even though you haven't been the voice of the Express for the last probably well, 15 years. Well, I'll get to that in a, in a second because uh, I, I do think that's funny. As I just had that conversation with somebody this morning. Uh, at the time of us recording this, this is uh, the end of March in, uh, in 2023. But uh, so what I do is I, I do this this company. Uh, I have up until recently did a lot of substitute teaching as well, uh, once or twice a week at the Elk Mound School District, which I like doing. Uh, I do the sports broadcast for the Blue Golds. There's a minor league baseball team I do their games for. Uh, I pick up some games online that I do remotely. Uh, which I like to, which I like to do. For the most part, though, my my main focus is the Blue Golds and this minor league uh, baseball team because I like to broadcast for teams as opposed to being a person that cherry picks here and there. I like to have that passion of being with a team. I do some high school games uh, locally, and then I've got some various investments uh, that I have, including your traditional investments like a Roth IRA. I'll always remember this. A, a bus driver with the Eau Claire Express in 2007 said, you got to get this thing called a Roth IRA. Like, what the heck's he talking about? So I called, yeah, my uncle was, uh, my, my late uncle was uh, into investments. I said, what about this Roth IRA? He's like, yeah, you're, you're 24, 25 years. Yeah, because in, in my line of work, you don't have an investment plan. There's no, there's no retirement planning in, when you work for teams and whatnot, you're lucky you you're lucky your check doesn't bounce. And I've got stories about that too. Not in Eau Claire, but checks bouncing and where we were racing to the bank uh, to the last one there didn't get their check. But so I've got a, a variety of things. And the whole idea is if you know one cord gets snapped, there's something else that's there. And I and I will say with the the Eau Claire Express. And I'm sure there's somebody listening right now that's going, I, I, I recognize that voice. I did the Express from 06 to 2010. We won the championship in 2010. And then I left to 
uh, be full-time down in Des Moines, Iowa for a few years with a minor league baseball team before I got back into baseball and all that. I didn't really want to leave Eau Claire, but the team in Des Moines pretty much gave me an ultimatum and said, either you, either you, if you leave us, don't come back. Uh, so I stayed down there because it was paying good, and, and Des Moines was a really nice community, though Eau Claire is very nice too. To this day, though, I, have, I, I did a, a random game in 2016, but I have really not called an express game since we won the championship in 2010. No correlation there at all. I got my championship, and I, and I bounced. I've got the championship ring and everything. Uh, my wife has got very incriminating photos of the party uh, that uh, occurred. Uh, they're, they're up in my man cave. Uh, I'll just put it this way. We owned Water Street that night. Uh, I don't remember any of it, but there's photographic proof. Uh, but a lot of people remember me as doing the games there, uh, including a person just today. I was introduced. Hey, this is the guy that... That uh, does the Express, and I go, I haven't done the Express since 2010. But a lot of people remember me because I was here during the early days of the team. It was a different era back then. And it kind of goes back to why we started this. Media was much more local back then. So people would always tune into the radio and want to listen. What's going on? People... People listened to the games back then a lot more because you didn't have as many options as you have now. And the team was newer, and the team had some characters to it and all that. The Express are still extremely popular. It's just different now than it was back uh, back then. And uh, I always come back to this. Uh, our first three years were on Moose Country. And I always laugh about that because I, I do some high school games on Moose Country. But our last two years were on WAYY when I was there. And this was right when WAYY was very local. And they had morning shows and they had noon shows and all that. And a lot of my popularity I can owe to people like John Murphy and Bob Bolsold who would come on the air every morning. John Murphy to this day and Marty Green would go on. They loved the random stories I would tell. So they would tell these, they would, they would rehash what I had talked about the previous night because I'd go on these tangents, but I still have no idea what I was talking about because I black out during a game. Uh, I, I really do. It's like, it's like Will Ferrell's character from old school during the, during the debate scene. And then they'd rehash what I had talked about. So then everybody in town had to listen to, what the heck's this guy talking about? <laughs> Every every night, but yeah, it's 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 it, it's intriguing. I'm 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 honored that people still remember me. But there's always two things I, I tell everybody: one, tune into the Old Queer Blue Golds now because I've done the Blue Golds for the last uh, six years, and it's probably the the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And there's a very good broadcaster now for the Express in uh, Pete Knutson, who's been doing it longer than I did uh, during those glory days. Last year, I know we have to kind of wrap things up here a little bit, Scott, but uh, you mentioned your connection with the Blue Goals. And uh, what's happened in the last three, four, five years from uh, the Blue Goals in terms of the recommitment they've made to their athletic program is, is pretty impressive. And what they have going down, 
going through now with the Sodentag Center and uh, looking to move the games to Simpson Field from Carson Park and um, rumors about about what's going to happen to Hobbs and what's going to happen to Carson Park baseball. These sorts of things are, to me, really exciting. And you're kind of in the middle of all this in terms of, of, of both, you know, your connections with the university, but also with being the voice of the Blue Goals. What do you see with Blue Goals athletics going forward? Well, as I said, I, I have I have. I've lived a very blessed life in, in, in sports. And while I never did uh, major league level sports, I have had a lot of great experiences. Called a lot of players that have ended up in the National Hockey League uh, that are in my phone uh, that I can text right now. Not, not sure they text me back, but I can text them and guys in the major leagues. The, the chance to be the voice of the Blue Golds has, again, probably been the biggest honor I've had because I followed uh, Mike Sullivan, who did it for some 30 years, a local institution. The cool thing about the, the Eau Claire Blue Golds, I mentioned I went to a Division One school. When I was there, we had 4,000 students. Now they're up to 6,000. UWEC is a Division One size school. It's more than it's 10,000 students, give or take on a year-to-year basis in a, in a different genre, in a different, uh, in a, in a different uh, time, if you will, uh, an alternate reality. They'd be a Division I school. Everything done at that school is Division I level with Division Three clothing. You know, you can't pay the point. You can't give scholarships out and what have you. Budgets are still a little lower uh, than they would be for Division One. But there's a Division I mindset with the coaches, with the players, the amount of effort they put in, with the administration, the support from the chancellor that's been outstanding. And I think the community has really, really been noticing that in the last few years, uh, which has been great. The, the amount of corporate support they're getting in, the amount of donations that the university has been getting for these various projects that they have when sun and tag opens i don't want to make bold proclamations over what the crowds will be or anything like that because there's a lot of variables that'll have to go into play but i really think deep down in my gut blue gold basketball games will be the social setting in the winter again when that building opens up and when football gets to simpson field that's going to be something that people are going to have to be at. Uh, there's other things that may be on the horizon as well. Overall, it's, it's a great time for anybody in this community that is a, a sports fan. The amount of investment that has been going on, both with what you see publicly but also just the things that go on behind the scenes, investing in, in coaches being able to go out and recruit and the type of athletes that are coming, that are coming in. Uh, UW-Eau Claire is, is uh, primed to be a very competitive outlet in nearly every one of its sports. And you know the, the white whale that remains out there is football. And uh, I, I, I say this, it's almost scary to think scary we get four to forty five hundred people a game for football now imagine what we'll get 
when this program starts winning seven, eight, nine, ten games a year. <laughs> well, that's exciting. I will use your term, Scott, outstanding in terms of our program today. I want to thank you for listening to Scott and I chat over a beer today. If you like what you've heard, please give Banker with the Beer a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Northwestern Bank website, or wherever you listen to your podcast from. Bank with the Beer is sponsored by Northwestern Bank, building stronger communities where people matter.